0: Hello, and welcome to Peter Pan Man Dan, a podcast about fatherhood. I'm Dan, a screenwriter and first-time father, and these are my adventures. This episode is called Vegas Baby Vegas, and is about finally getting a break from all this baby nonsense. You need a break from any job. You need to go drink tropical-flavored poison in Cancun or Arnold Palmer's in my sober ass's case. Or you need to just sit in front of the TV and let Netflix lull your brain into a sedated state. Rest, reset, put your head back on so you can rejoin the rat race that gives our life's purpose. Unfortunately, with parenting, there are no days off. You fuckers are still a lot of work, always will be, my mom told me over the phone as I was complaining about how hard caring for a newborn is. I mean, I'm not that much work now, right? I asked. Danny, I'm listening to you bitch over the phone trying to comfort you, she reminded me. A parent's job is never over. You little shits will probably be asking me to do something while I'm on my deathbed. Well, at least you don't have to change my diapers anymore, I said. You know, I never minded the diapers, she noted. That's weird, I said. I had been leaning on my mom especially hard the last couple of months. She had flown from Salt Lake City for Theo's birth, and since had been coming out every few weeks to hang with her new grandson and make sure I was okay. She could tell I was stressed, tired, feeling alone. So she had started calling every day. She wasn't in town to just check in. I had told her about how I wished there was a service that texted me, good job, at the end of every day. So she started doing just that. Each day, I'd get a heartfelt and encouraging message from her. You're so adorable with Theo, honey. You can tell he adores you. Good job, said one text. You are such a wonderful son. You will probably never really know the extent of your dad and my love for you. And now I see you being the same kind of dad to your son. I'm so proud. Good job, said another. You are such a great dad, Danny. And... I didn't know how funny you were until your eulogy at Grandma Rosie's funeral. Good job, said yet another. I sincerely look forward to these messages. Since my dad was super, super dead, it was as important as ever for my mom to be there for me. And she was. She was absolutely wonderful. But my mom's advice and encouraging texts didn't help me feel any less burnt out. We were closing in on the coveted three-month marker where everyone claims everything gets so much easier. I was exhausted, as was Meredith. It sort of felt like we had been on a red-eye flight every night for 85 nights in a row. We were never able to fully recharge that internal battery. We were iPhones running on 15% all of the time. That was life now. Theo admittedly turned a corner, though. He was sprouting out of his gobular stage into a person. Sleep was still hard, but dumping everything we had into helping him survive was starting to pay off. He seemed to at least acknowledge my existence now. He used to look at me like he wanted to challenge me to a Hamilton versus Burr-style duel. But he was warming up to Daddy. Maybe it was because I had gained a few pounds from not being able to do my evening jogs. This had caused my body to turn into this sort of doughy, beanbag-like structure that he could nestle into for long naps. Or maybe it was that Meredith was breastfeeding less, which allowed me to bottle-feed Theo more. It felt good that Theo was starting to view me as more than just a weirdo trying to shush him to sleep. Though he still wasn't really reacting to my funny faces or fart noises. Baby steps, I suppose. Even with Theo and I on our way towards becoming best friends... I was still yearning for a break from hell. Ferris Buellering a day off sounded amazing. I continued sneaking down to sit in the beamer when Meredith and Theo were asleep for a few minutes of relaxation. But I wanted more. I needed more. Hell, even prisoners get time in the wreckyard. Then it happened. God sent me a message. Well, it was technically a text from my pal Dom. It read, Still need your RSVP for my Vegas wedding. Are you coming? With all the baby stuff going on, I had completely forgotten about Dom's wedding in Las Vegas. I assumed they would cancel it since the Delta variant was still killing Americans too dumb to get vaccinated or wear a mask. Heck, my 20-year high school reunion back in Utah had just been postponed. But Dom and his fiancé had already moved the wedding twice. So they decided, fuck it. They'd go forward with it. Now, Dom was a massive part of my life when my dad was dying. When I moved back to Salt Lake City to care for him like a goddamn hero, Dom emerged as a critical support system. His dad had unexpectedly died when Dom was in high school, so he was a veteran in navigating the difficulties of dadless life. He became sort of a dead dad life coach. He'd invite me out to grab drinks when he sensed that I was burning out and needed a break from watching ALS kill my dad. We'd knock back an obscene number of cocktails, and he'd give me advice or just listen to me bitch. When my dad passed, Dom and I formed what we called the Dead Dad Club. We'd check in on Father's Day, and when we'd see each other in person, we'd try to say something nice, like, I'm sure your dad would be proud of you. Dom was there for me when I needed him the most, so I silently pledged to always be there for him when he needed me. Weddings aren't tragedies, most of the time, but I wanted to support him, especially since his dad couldn't. However, Theo complicated things. Taking him and Meredith to Vegas would make this trip through hell look like a fucking birthday party. Theo was better in the car seat now that he had the moonroof to look out of, but there was no way he could handle a five-hour drive through the Mojave Desert to Vegas. And Meredith had to be wherever Theo was since they were bound by the boob, so she couldn't take a night off and come with me. I'll uh, tell him we can't go, I said when I brought up the wedding to Meredith. Meredith looked me over. She probably saw the bags under my eyes or sensed the defeat weighing on my soul from how hard the transition from selfish prick to parent had been. Actually... I think you should go, she said. What? Nah, I can't do that, can I? I said. I think you should. It'll be fun, said Meredith. It would be fun. Shit, getting a night's rest in a Vegas hotel room would be reason enough to go. Fuck the wedding. But what about you, Theo, and Maple? I can't leave you goofs, I said, showcasing just an insane amount of love and support the world's greatest dad-slash-husband in action. I can see if my mom can come help. She's been missing Theo, she said. No way, I'm not leaving you or the baby. We're in this together. Every moment of it is what I probably should have said. But then I pictured myself in a Visit Las Vegas commercial, ooing and aahing at Mirage's erupting volcano watching the Bellagio fountains dance along to luck be your lady, sitting poolside with a non-alcoholic drink and a pack of platonic babes, hitting blackjack as everyone at the casino cheered behind me. Then, finally, back-flopping onto a cloud of sheets on my way towards eight straight hours of uninterrupted sleep. And, to top it off, I could take my new car. After all, I needed to bond with it. It wasn't all about Theo. So, instead of rejecting Meredith's kind offer, I said, Yeah, okay. See if your mom could come help. If she doesn't mind. Meredith called her mom. She didn't mind. She confirmed that she missed Theo and wanted to see him ASAP. I guess these babies tend to get addictive. She excitedly agreed to come out from New Jersey to help Meredith watch him while I went to the wedding. I was free to escape baby hell for a couple of days. I informed Dom that I was coming. I booked a room at the Wynn where other pals were staying. Vegas, baby, Vegas, I said to myself like a super-tired, non-handsome version of Vince Vaughn and Swingers. As the wedding approached, I got increasingly excited. While trying to soothe Theo at night while he yelled at me, I'd remind myself that I had a much-needed break approaching. Vegas, baby, Vegas, I'd mumble. More than seeing friends or celebrating Dom, I was looking forward to the sleep. I'd probably be the first person on earth to visit Las Vegas so I could get some rest. But I continued feeling bad I was leaving Meredith. She was the one who needed the break. God, I could really use a break too, said Meredith. Yeah, sucks for you. I got Vegas coming up, baby. I wanted to joke. I know, we'll get you one, I reassured her. The next morning, I packed my wedding suit and the rest of my bags. I loaded up the Beamer with pretzels, a gallon of coffee, and other snacks to shovel into my fat face. I spent the rest of the morning watching Theo, feeling like a pile of shit for leaving him. I knew some friends with five-year-olds who still hadn't spent a night away from their child. And here I was about to run away from this shit show less than three months in. What a coward. When it was time for me to leave... I picked up Theo. I gave him a series of kisses on the cheek and forehead, trying my best to overcompensate for ditching him. I feel so bad leaving you, leaving him, I said to Meredith. Don't. It's not like you're not coming back, she said. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably come back, I joked, one that Meredith didn't find the least bit amusing. What's that, Theo? Oh, thank you. I will have a great trip. What's that? You want to give me a goodbye kiss? Well, okay, I said and forced him to kiss my cheek. I reached down and gave Maple's ears a rub. I'll miss you most of all, and it's not even close, I whispered to her. God, I love her. I can't believe you're leaving me with this little hellion, Maple implied. But I was off. I got my new beamer, inhaled some of that sweet new car smell, and hit the road. On the run from Johnny Law, ain't no trip to Cleveland, I said as I slid my sunglasses on, quoting an Owen Wilson line from Bottle Rocket, one of my favorite movies. I pulled onto the 110 freeway towards Vegas. I looked in the mirror and jokingly said, Vegas, baby, Vegas, to no one in particular. I looked more like Zach Galifianakis in The Hangover than I did Vince Vaughn in Swingers. I tapped the 12-inch display screen and fired a band of horses as I weaved through the L.A. clutter doing my best to not slam my brand new car into the back of a food truck in transit. As I started to car dance to the music, I smiled. I was free. This was magic. I loved it. I may have even yelled a guttural FREEDOM like I was William Wallace and Braveheart right before he got his head chopped off. City turned to desert as I pushed the beamer along the cooking asphalt. Other lesser cars that hadn't been purchased from the world-famous Beverly Hills BMW were a blur as I raced by, feeling superior, already an asshole. Vegas, baby, Vegas, I said again. I stopped at a McDonald's in Barstow and ordered the two-cheeseburger combo meal and a six-piece nugget with sweet and sour sauce on the side. I parked the Beamer in the lot, pointing out into the desert. Then I gluttonously stuffed all the greasy garbage into my face. The short-lived hit of fast-food dopamine put me into a further state of bliss. Vegas, baby Vegas, I muffled with my mouth full of fries. I then got back on the road. I felt like Hunter S. Thompson in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but high on McNuggets instead of LSD. I eventually crossed the California-Nevada border into Prim. That's when I saw the Desperado Roller Coaster. It was part of the Buffalo Bills Hotel and Casino. The whole place was a relic from that weird 1990s trend when casinos attempted to become more family-friendly. They'd eventually realized that people just wanted to come to Vegas to get shit-faced and fuck strangers. But for a time, they built shit-like roller coasters. When it opened in 1994, the coaster was one of the tallest, fastest, and longest in the world. Wow, holy shit, it's still here, I said. I was holy shitting because this random roller coaster had great significance to me. For my 17th birthday, I had talked my beloved dad into taking three friends and me to Las Vegas. I wasn't going to gamble or drink or try to sneak into a strip club. I was going because I was a roller coaster enthusiast and wanted to ride the Desperado. My other friends were admittedly not that into amusement park rides, They had matured out of their childhoods faster than I had, but they weren't turning down a free trip to Las Vegas. My little brother, Greg, and one of his friends came along as well. We stayed at the Mandalay Bay and drove the 30 minutes out to Prim one afternoon so I could cross the Desperado off my list. Buffalo Bills was now closed. The lights on the giant Buffalo Head Marquee were dim. All the rooms in the barn-shaped hotel were vacant. The Desperado coaster was no longer thrilling riders. It was another victim of the pandemic. But seeing it reminded me once again of what a great dad I had. He was so willing to do anything in his power to make me happy. That included driving my friends and me to a roller coaster in the middle of fucking nowhere. He managed a pack of rowdy teenagers in Vegas the whole weekend with ease and a smile. All while I experienced the last burst of my innocence before I turned into a fat, sad adult. And here I was, finally a dad myself. And what was I doing? I was celebrating getting away from my newborn son by dancing along to music and stuffing fast food in my mouth. I had to attempt to be as good of a dad to Theo as mine was to me. Vegas, baby, Vegas, I said as I pushed away a couple of dead dad-related tears. I checked into the win and asked if they had any upgrades available. I told them that I was in town for a wedding but that I was also here to sleep because I had a three-month-old baby at home. I was getting a rare reprieve. "'I've got two kids of my own,' said the receptionist as he clicked away at the computer keyboard. First bit is hell, right?' I said. "'Yeah, it is, but it gets easier,' he said. "'That's what they all say,' I said, sort of wanting to roll my eyes. I was sick of hearing about how it was going to get easier without believing that it actually would. "'I was able to upgrade you for free, my brother,' High floor with a view of the strip. Get some rest, my man, he said. This might be the nicest thing anyone has ever done for me, I said, almost wanting to cry tears of joy. I weaved through the casino labyrinth through the throngs of dipshits acting like they were starring in Ocean's Eleven. In reality, they looked more like extras in idiocracy. I got to the elevators, then to my room. It was smack dab in the center of the hotel, I hit a button that turned on the lights and opened the curtains to reveal my view of Treasure Island and the rest of the Strip. Anytime I get a good look at Vegas from above, it's impossible not to wonder how the fuck someone decided to build a city here. Makes me think colonizing Mars is possible. I put on a robe and backflopped onto my bed just like I had dreamed about doing. I laid there for 30 minutes watching the sunset while trying my best not to feel guilty for how nice it was to get a break from hell. I had some wild times in Las Vegas over the years. Vegas is the closest big city to Salt Lake. You can do all those naughty things that are harder to do in a repressive state. It really is Sin City to us Utahns. So, after I matured out of my roller coaster days and stopped coming down with my dad, my pals and I would pile into a car and zoom south on I-15. It's where I gambled for the first time. It's where I stayed up drinking all night for the first time. It's where I went to my first strip club. Then in college my rich roommate's family had a condo at the Turnberry Towers on the northern end of Las Vegas Boulevard. So we took several booze fueled trips out to Las Vegas. We dress up in sports coats and douse ourselves in cheap cologne before bopping in and out of nightclubs, all while fading in and out of consciousness. As my drinking problem got worse and my hangovers turned me into Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump, I started to hate Vegas. I knew when I came here, I was going to do things I regret. I'd play into that, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas slogan that had been popularized in the 2000s. I knew I'd get monumentally fucked up. Then I'd enter a shame spiral the next day. I'd feel like a piece of my soul had chipped off and been made to disappear like a rabbit in a David Copperfield magic trick. I remember driving back to L.A. severely hungover after a friend's boozy bachelor party a few years before I quit drinking and thinking that maybe I should just pull my Subaru to the side of the road and walk off into the desert to die. Crazy that a place so bright can get so dark. There was admittedly a part of me that wanted to get rip-roaringly drunk. I could roam around the Wing Casino acting like a hotshot for old time's sakes. After all, the last three months in hell had been so stressful. So, this trip felt like sort of a final boss in my battle against alcohol. But I couldn't do that. Especially with Theo around, I couldn't let him down. And I didn't want to. I couldn't stand feeling that dread and anxiety I felt before and after a night out. It felt worse than getting fucked up felt good. I was already consumed with guilt for leaving Meredith to manage Theo. I had to stay strong. Stick to my sobriety. Getting a break from hell didn't mean giving everything I had accomplished back. I thought about just sleeping for the whole time I was in Vegas. I could order a $30 burger from room service, not get out of my robe. COVID gave me the perfect excuse. I could just say that I had driven in but picked up a cough and a slight fever, so I wanted to play it safe. I'd not only get a pass, but also probably be viewed as some sort of life-saving hero. But I was all the way out in Vegas. Plus, I had to be there for Dom since we were members of the Dead Dad Club. I reluctantly took off my robe and put on my wedding suit. I took an Uber to the venue despite not drinking. I didn't want the added stress of driving. Plus, if the wedding drunks sniffed out that I had a car, they'd probably try to get me to drive them around the rest of the night. I wanted to sleep, not play taxi driver. The venue was indoors, and no one was wearing a mask. If you're not vaccinated, you're definitely getting COVID, said one pal as I entered. I'm vaccinated, plus I had it. So I'm fucking invincible, I said. I looked around for Dom. I wanted to get our dead dad club heart-to-heart out of the way. Do what I had come here to do. But he was busy, wedding shit. So I mingled with other pals, most of which had children of their own. We laughed and commiserated about babies. Most were through the infant hell stage and into the sunshine part of having kids. They all loved being parents, almost getting teary-eyed when they talked about their kids. It was nice to see that the whole kid thing would eventually become worth it. I delivered all the lines I'd been using at nauseum to articulate the last few months. It's hell, but it's getting easier, I said. I was seated next to my friend Erica. Erica and I had formed a friendship after my dad died and before I moved back to Los Angeles to pursue screenwriting. I'd gotten into USC's MFA screenwriting program. While I was wine drunk in my family's backyard a few nights before leaving to start my new life, Erica had given me perhaps the best, most honest advice I had received. "'You know, maybe when you're trying to meet new people at school, "'don't talk about your dead dad so much,' she had advised. "'What do you mean?' I asked as I took a big gulp of my Chardonnay. "'I mean, it's really sad your dad died and all, "'but maybe don't freak out your new classmates "'by constantly talking about it right away,' Erica said. "'But how will they know I have a dead dad, then?' I joked. Erica's advice proved to be sound,' For the first couple of months I was at USC, I didn't talk about my dead dad to my classmates. It helped me not be so haunted by it, so defined by loss. It was my first attempt to move on. I mean, I eventually got shit-faced and spilled my guts to everyone at a party one weekend. Then I wrote a book about my dad dying. And I still don't really shut the fuck up about it. But her words helped me get the fresh start I needed after a couple of hard years. I consequently trusted Erica's advice. Erica now lived in Chicago with her husband. They had a two-year-old son, so she was just getting out of the baby hell stage. I used my go-to line about parenting on her. I had a friend describe it as a poorly designed video game where the first level is the hardest, but then it gets easier. So we're fighting Bowser right now, I said. Instead of just chuckling like my other friends, Erica thoughtfully considered my words. She shook her head and said, that's not true. Excuse me, but that's my go-to line about parenting. Of course it's true, I wanted to say. It doesn't really get easier. It just gets different, she added. I thought about it. Erica was probably right. Kids will always be hard. But the specifics of what's causing the difficulty will change. It wasn't that we started off fighting Bowser, then graduated to easier levels. But rather that we continue having to fight Bowser in different settings and under different circumstances. Right now, it was challenging because we weren't sleeping much. We were also still learning how to be parents. Everything was new. But once Theo started crawling, then walking, then talking, then running, then turned into a teenager, then adult, everything would get hard in a different way that I couldn't comprehend until I experienced it. I had been waiting for that coveted three-month mark to hit when everyone said it got easier. I was expecting some fairy godmother type to wave her magic wand and turn everything back to how it was. We'd start sleeping through the whole night and never wake up tired again. We'd go back to focusing all of our attention on ourselves and Maple. I'd go back to having a clear head as I wrote up all my sad fart jokes into screenplays. I'd jog every evening and watch every movie on every one of my stupid lists. But that wasn't going to happen. Life was different now and would continue to change, evolve. It'd get better at times, worse at others. One step forward, two back. Leaps, regressions. Fuck, Theo was already continuing to change things up every week or so. We'd have to adjust to something new just as we felt like we were getting our bearings. Parenting is a moving target in a carnival game that you can't ever win. It was already like that now and would be forever. That wasn't going to change at three months or three hundred. It's like my mom said, a parent's job is never over. Shit, Theo would probably be calling me for advice when he became a parent one day, just like I had been doing with my mom. Erica's words were a wake-up call. They were a breath of fresh air after being told it would get easier countless times. I realized that my trip through hell would never get significantly easier, but at least it would get different, and that's okay. The rest of the wedding happened. Vows, I do, kissing, clapping, eating, dancing. I wanted to get back to my room in the clouds and tuck myself in for a great night's rest. But I hadn't given Dom my well wishes yet. Trying to track down the groom or bride on their wedding day is sort of like trying to catch a greased up pig while blindfolded. But I was finally able to wrangle him. Danny, I'm glad you came, you son of a bitch, he said, slapping my back. Me too, I said. I know this sounds sappy as shit, but if your dad were here, he'd be proud of you. Dom patted me on the shoulder. He was as drunk as someone at their wedding should be. Thanks, buddy. Saw a picture of you and your kid. He looks happy. Bet you're a great dad. So, I'm sure your dad would be proud too, he said. Thanks, man. I needed to hear that, I said. Dom was pulled away by another well-wisher. Our dead dad club meeting was officially adjourned. I smiled, glad we at least got a couple of words in. Just as a hired Elvis impersonator took the stage and started singing Viva Las Vegas, something struck me. I missed Theo. I missed kissing his chubby cheeks. I missed holding him against my chest while he napped, even though it meant that I couldn't move for an hour. I missed his baby snores. I missed watching his eyes blissfully roll into the back of his head while he chugged a bottle. I missed getting him in his adorable onesies that he'd soon be too big for. You don't realize how much you love something until you're away from it, I suppose. And the love you feel for your child is unmatched, divine, otherworldly. It follows you around like a shadow forever. A couple of days earlier, I could think of nothing I wanted more than to escape baby hell. But now, I wanted to return to it. The magnetic pull of love was sucking me back to Santa Monica. I turned down drinks all night like Robert Downey Jr. after he got his shit together. I will say that being at a wedding without drinking is a little like watching a 3D movie without the glasses on, but still, alcohol didn't have shit on me. I pulled an Irish goodbye and Ubered back to my hotel around midnight, which is like 8pm Vegas time. I put back on my hotel robe, backflopped into bed, and had the best night's sleep since Theo was born. The next day, I ate breakfast by myself since all my friends were still too hungover. Then, I took off. On the road back to Santa Monica, I thought about everything. Though I initially felt guilty for going, I'm glad I did. The trip had been great. And the truth of the matter is, you need breaks from hell. They're healthy and necessary. They don't mean you're a bad parent. Take them when you can. Parenting is a long road, a marathon. It would always be hard... It was nice to honor my friend and catch up with other pals, but it was even better to clear my head and get some perspective. Sometimes that 500-foot view of your life is necessary. Sometimes we get so bogged down in the day-to-day minutiae that we don't realize how great we have it. As I passed Buffalo Bills and the Desperado roller coaster on my way back over the Nevada-California border, I smiled at the nice memory of my dad. Then... I hit the gas so I could get back to Theo as quickly as possible. After all, we had memories of our own to start making. This has been Peter Pan Man Dan, a Mangano Movies and Media Podcast. Thanks for listening. On the season finale of Peter Pan Man Dan, I finally start to see the magic of parenting. Talk to you then.